Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you. I am your hostess, your groove mistress, and your spiritual advisor, Madam Perry, but you can call me Jan, Jennifer, JP, Perry. I'm just happy to be here and happy here. And thanks to everyone who's been leaving such uh, interesting and nice reviews uh, of the podcast on uh Blog Talk Radio, Apple, Stitcher. I really appreciate them, and it lets me know what you like. Uh, I keep telling people that my listeners, my audience, is just a fascinating group of people. The, some of the reviews said that whether it's somebody who's well-known, that they know they want to hear, or somebody they would never heard of, they always look forward to the show. I appreciate that. And as I was telling one future guest, I said, I've got listeners that if they've never heard of the guest, they'll go ahead and do their homework on them, buy the book, music, whatever, and check it out. And that's, uh, I find that rather impressive. So it's always a good, always a good crowd. And that's why I am so happy to bring you such great guests and shows. You know, last week we had Dr. Sheena Howard. And Dr. Howard's newest book is called Why Wakanda Matters. And it's a compilation of essays from some about the uh, com- the psychological and community themes in the movie uh, Black Panther. Also, we had, uh, let's see, recently Dave Koz, uh, Grammy award-winning saxophone player, Dave Koz. He was a delightful guest, um, and that's been a very popular show as well. Um, just I've just been so lucky to have so many fun people. Also, we had Arden Marine, who you know from the TV show Insatiable on Netflix. Arden Marine, <laughs> she is so much fun. Uh, hopefully, you know, they'll it'll be able to start shooting the third season, which shoots right here in Atlanta where I'm at. I had no idea. But uh, Arden plays Regina Sinclair, and it's a crazy show and a fun show. And so hopefully they'll be shooting again soon. So we got that come yeah that you can listen to and hopefully she'll come back soon. Now tonight, uh, God, this is so much fun. I am so psyched for tonight or say this afternoon. But tonight's guest is someone that I have been listening to work, played music he's written and performed, and other people's work that he had something to do with, whether, you know, production, writing or whatever, that I didn't even know. One of my super favorite bands. And so let's just go ahead and bring him right in here. I could tell you more about him, but let's talk to him about it. I am thrilled to introduce zombie musician, (laughs) the Chris White Experience, singer, songwriter, musician, and record producer, Chris White. Chris, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Hi, Madam Perry. How nice to be on here. And can I call I you Jennifer? Or you can day? call me Jennifer. Yeah, Jennifer or okay. Jen is good. Okay. All right, Jen then. Yeah, when I said, uh, this kind of a, I thought that was kind of a ragged introduction. When I said zombies, you know, I, I didn't mean to laugh. It's just that in here in Atlanta is where the movie uh, Walking Dead was filmed, <laughs> okay. the TV series, rather, the TV series, and one of my previous guests, B.J. Mendelson, who is a marketing expert, said that he came down, he knew the people that worked on the show that ran the zombie school to train people on it, so he said, I have been, I'm a graduate of a zombie school. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, when we chose the name, we didn't really know what it meant, so basically. Well... <laughs> Well, back when, you know, when I first started listening to the zombies in the 60s, you know, back then, zombies were those kind of funky black and white movies, you know, where somebody be the jungle and the wolf of voodoo power. So that was a really, it wasn't as, 
it wasn't like the zombies of today that are always keeping diaries or whatever, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. No, it was just fun. They they weren't that they weren't that out there. They were had that their private worlds, you know, it was a it was a closed group. So I am so thrilled to have you here and it's also fun when you when you've listened to somebody and I know you've been through this, when you've got somebody that you've been a fan of and the music has meant so much to you for so many years. Oh, nice. It's always exciting. Is it still exciting to you to learn more things about them you enjoyed that they didn't know? Other things they had a hand in or, or writing or creating? Sorry, I didn't quite hear that. Sorry. Okay. Uh, when you've had, you know, somebody that you've been a fan of, their work, and do you, as I do, do you still get, you know, excited when you learn more things about them? Like, I, you know, oh. that they've done that you weren't aware of? Well, it's just it's it's great. Where we were so lucky in the mid sixties. One of the first gigs we did was in New York at the Murray the Cave Brooklyn Fox, and of course we started meeting our heroes. You know, like Chuck Jackson, Benny King, and the Shangri-Las of Shirelle. Oh. And it, this was this was like heaven to us. And we we played five shows, five shows a day over Christmas. <laughs> Only played about three numbers, but that was fantastic. And then meeting that we toured with the Isley Brothers and people oh. like and Del Shan and Del Shannon was a great fan friend of ours as well. So we we had a we had a great introduction straight from being in college or school and then suddenly being on the stage in New York. It was fantastic. Oh my gosh, that what what a way to start out, you know? There's people that are was, uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, Gosh, it had to be exciting, and I know you got fun like swapping stories with them, or or they probably sort of took you under their wing to uh, teach you guys a little bit about the biz. Yeah, absolutely, yes. But the mm-hmm. nice thing was they were people like us. It was because they're the heroes to you. You can't you have trouble speaking to them first of all, but then they're such nice people and such musicians are great people to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. It's fun working with them. When I remember when the um, when the box set or the came out, um, this was probably me. I don't know, maybe a little over ten years ago. That's right. Yes. And so I remember I went to the show, and you weren't in the lineup. Then you were one of the original zombies. But that's right. I remember. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Well, basically, the the story was that we had two hits in America, not so much in England. And then it started, started going downhill. Rod and Rod Argent and myself were the only ones who had any income at all because we were writers. But the others didn't have any income, really. And uh, so we we finally, we went to, it was a long story, but we went to the Philippines where we, we thought we were playing in a hotel foyer. We were getting £100 a night between us. And then we played at the second biggest Astrodome in the world called the Araneta Coliseum. And it was the second Astrodome to uh, uh, the one in America. And we played to 30,000 people a night for 10 days for 18 pounds each. <laughs> for how much? So we came back 18 pounds each. No! Uh, the manager took, yeah, the manager took 25%. But then we came back, Rod and I decided we, we, we wanted to, we weren't ever up to that point allowed to be at the mix session at our recordings. So we said we wanted to produce ourselves. And we came back to England. We had no money, no manager, no record company because Decker had dropped us at that point. So we, we found out we had £1,000 and um, our publisher said, well, I can get you into Abbey Road Studios. So Rod and I went in to Abbey Road Studios as the Beatles left having recorded Sgt. Pepper. And mm-hmm. we, we, did this, we did Odyssey and Oracle. And that's our first production and everything. So it was a totally different. And um, we're just writing, the, we're doing a musical about that period, actually. Where they tried to kill us in the Philippines. And, um, uh, and then we came back and we're doing this musical about uh, making of Odyssey and Oracle. So hopefully we'll get that off the ground. Oh, I would love to see that. Um, you know the so thing would I. <laughs> I know. Uh, with Odyssey and Oracle, I remember though when, when, when that box set came out that the uh, I was listening to an interview with the band, and I don't know where you were, but this was the interview was on um, our NPR, the National Public Radio Station, and 
I remember yeah, because was, I was drunk. Do was you remember that? Penny Everidge, I think, yeah. Yeah. Penny Everidge, and, yeah. Okay, so I had driven to work, this job I had at the time, and I got in the parking lot, and it was time for me to go in, and I went ahead and sat and listened to the interview. Because, you know, back then you couldn't check it all out on a, on a website right away or get a replay or a download or something yet. Um I mean, people had websites. I think there was the Internet, but not like now. And so I sat in my car and listened to that and was late to work. I didn't care. I wanted to hear that interview so badly. And uh, I remember stories like about, you know, Colin was falling asleep and, and Rod oh, yeah. telling him, get up and sing. Yeah, he's going to sing this. Or he said, you know, any, any lyrics you don't understand, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't know what they were either. I was asleep. <laughs> Well, we're very lucky because we were school kids when we started. Well, I, I was at art college, and uh, basically, um, uh, we're so lucky because we're still friends, and it's very rare for a group from the 60s to even talk to each other. We're still friends and have been for all that period, over 54 years, you know. You know, I, I was listening to an interview you did with Emo. And, yeah. Uh, could have a great interview. Um, I had never heard her before, heard of her show, but I was listening to it, and she said, you're all still friends, you know, and you said, so how are they now? You said, oh, something like there's just about as much trouble as they always were, but you stayed friends because <laughs> you were. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm lucky. I have the privilege of working with one of the greatest keyboard players and leaders, that Chris Rod, and one of those great voices, Colin Blumstone, who couldn't take to write songs for him, is a gift. Oh, sweet. So it's fantastic yeah. working with him. You know, one of the other things, and this has a lot to do with the with the type of guys. We're going to move from the zombies into the Chris White experience, but one of the things too that I remember um, hearing in the interview was that at the time you guys started the tour, started to be interviewed, that you were all so you know you you appreciated the interviews, you appreciated people talking to you and wanting to know more, and that you were also polite. And that sometimes people thought you felt like that you didn't get enough attention, or because you weren't rude, like say the Stones or whatever. You know, you didn't just throw stuff around and be rude and be late. You guys thought, okay, we got an interview, we got to show up on time, we got to be polite. Well, it was the music that was important to us, and the songs. Uh, we we could have played around on stage and kicked drum sets over if we wanted, but it was the music was the most important thing. Always is. I guess it's because <clears throat> my husband was a musician before I met him. He was playing. And then um, for about 15 years, we had I had a jazz band, and he played with me a lot. And I think that's why, you know, once you've had a band and bought your own equipment, I, I got to tell you, whenever I, I know it's, it's just a statement or, or kind of a thing people do, but whenever I see people, do something, tell a joke, say something, and they do the mic drop, I just cringe because I'm thinking, my God, you're going to get that damage. You know what that cost? <laughs> yes. Well, exactly the same thing when we started. We didn't throw microphones around. Just, someone had to sing down it. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so you guys all went to school together, right? You and Rod, um, Hugh Grundy. We were, two different sc- yes, we were two different schools in St. Albans. Uh, mm-hmm. I was at school with Colin and uh, Terry Crook as well. Uh, and Rod was at, at school with Hugh Grundy and Paul Atkinson. So we're two different schools, quite close to each other. But uh, we just got together and Rod said, do you want to join the, join the band? And I said, of course, yes. I've been playing bands as well, but we never thought it would go anywhere. And then we basically, we when they were going to college and everything, they're finishing their school, and we thought we'd, as a last throw, we'd enter a, a contest, which is in Hertfordshire, was the county where we lived. And we won it. And then we said, well, let's give it six months. And that was 54 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, that's good. <laughs> that's not what. Yeah. See, that is, uh, yeah, so you decided to stick with it. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much. And you know that we're sticking with you too. I mean, your fans. Um, 
the last time I saw you was the big was the fiftieth anniversary show. And oh, right. when you were in Atlanta. And of course, you know, you were there, your fabulous wife, Vivienne Boucherot, who was here on oh, my yes. show about a month ago. Yes, I listened to that. It was very good. I enjoyed that. Uh, she was uh, that was oh I'm glad you did. Yeah, that was like a girls' party, wasn't it? Yes, it was for lots of fun and laughter, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was uh, that was such a great show. I mean, it was just my husband and I went, and uh, I waited too late to get tickets, thinking they were sold out. So, thank goodness, Cindy, uh, your manager, helped get my, me and my husband in. And, I, you know, we bought the book um, that had come out with it, but that was just such that was a marvelous show. I mean, it was just exquisite. The music, the stage, the setting, you know, the artwork behind, which I know uh, Vivian was responsible for probably most of that. It was just like a magical night, and the place was packed. And that was, I think, at the time, that was the Variety Playhouse. Um, but it might have been just before they did the remodeling, and I know it had, was at least a 1,500-seat venue. Yeah, well, it's, it's such a great pleasure playing Odyssey and Oracle as we recorded it from beginning to end and, and having people like Gary and Sahanaga from the Brian Wilson band uh, uh, and, and having Viv on stage, it, it's just great because we never, when we did Odyssey and Oracle, nobody wanted it, basically, so that's why we split up. And so the first premiere of it was in 2007. That's the first time we ever played it on stage. And uh, it was fun to play. That's interesting. I remember the first time somebody brought the album. You know, there's nothing like the actual album and the covers because it's a, it's a work of art. And uh, somebody brought it into into a school to show off that they had gotten Odyssey and Oracle. And it huh. was like pass. It was like somebody passing around something like like maybe they found a a, a, a chunk of diamond out somewhere. You know, like, ooh, <laughs> ah. You know, and I remember the woman that had the girl that had it. She wouldn't let us touch it. She would let us look at it, but she wouldn't let us touch it. So <laughs> oh dear. we had to all go get our own. <laughs> <I'm> like, <Yeah. laughs> but I mean, that's got to make you. I'm, I'm sure you hear those kind of stories from a lot of people, but I hope it never gets old to you, knowing how much. Well, actually, it's, I, I mean, it's fantastic. Nobody wanted it for 30 years, and all of a sudden. You get people who were saying it influenced them. People like Paul Weller, like uh, Tom Petty. Uh, the, uh, Tom Petty came along to see us in the '65 when we toured, and 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 Jimi Hendrix as well. I mean, I was at a party in in Beverly Hills uh, a long time ago when we had launched a group called Argent, which was Rod's band, and basically we had this party, and Jimi Hendrix was having a drink with me at his private bar, and he said, "Oh yeah, he was a zombie." He said, you did that song, Time of the Season, and then he sang it to me. I mean, that's a thing you never forget. Whoa, hold up. Hold up a second. I feel like I'm turning into Nancy Grace now. Whoa, hold up. <laughs> uh, do you, you're saying Jimi Hendrix sang yes. Time of the Season to you? Yeah, just as vocally, uh, a cappella at the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> how many right. people have that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. How many people have had an experience like that? I would say not exactly. many. Exactly. Uh, and that, that's a wonderful feeling to be appreciated for the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people should write their own songs. They should be creative. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Sorry, I was still lost back at, at the uh, Jimi Hendrix party. So, um, yeah, and uh, I know that what Tom Petty wrote the foreword to the book, um, which I've got on my shelf over there. Also, uh, Paul Weller, because I'm a big fan of his, too. And uh, have you worked together? No, I've never worked with him, but he did come along to our premiere in London. And I Mm -hmm. shyly went up to him because nobody knew I was 30 years. And all of a sudden... Paul Weller, I said, introduced myself to him. I said, Paul, I'm a great admirer of yours. And I said, we'd just like to check I'm Chris White. And he said, Chris White gave me a great big bear hug. And he said, you're the reason I started writing songs. Good now, Lord. that's wonderful. 
to be appreciated is wonderful. And, and to know you, to be appreciated for your music, <clears throat> and I would think to have that kind of effect, to, you don't know. You know, you go through, you never know how you affect other people. None of us do. No, you never do. You never do. And it's, it's the nice thing about songs is when songs mean something to people. I... Several years ago, I had a, a, a labyrinthitis, you know, we get dizzy. And so they took me to hospital, and I was lying in the bed. I only stayed there overnight. And then a man on the bed across came up. He was being shipped out. He came across to me, and he said, I've just heard that you wrote Hold Your Head Up. And I said, yes. He said, that song changed my life. And that's wonderful. That's a great feeling, you know. Yeah. Yes, very much. You know, you would talk about, as you said just uh, earlier, that it's important for people to be creative and write their own music, you know, write songs. Yes. And I like that because whenever, um, as I work as a publicist, an entertainment publicist, and when people talk to me about, well, my this book, I'll never finish that one, or I don't know about this songs, and I'll say, well, you know, think about songs that you really like or books that you like, the people that wrote them and what they mean to you. And you don't think they ever had a moment like that? So what if they hadn't written that song? Can you imagine yeah. the, the gap in your life? So exactly. thank you for back you've got to go for it. Too. You don't know what's inside you. Um, yeah. and, and it's beautiful. See, I, 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 I never know where the songs come from. Basically, I, as, as uh, you probably mentioned to Viv or Viv mentioned to you, my, two of my sons, they were involved in the music business in different areas, but basically they found these old tapes of mine that had 800 unreleased stuff, which they're now putting out at the moment. And I'm hearing back, and I can't remember writing half of it. You know, and where did that song come from, <laughs> I keep thinking? You know, I it's think that's what... Thing. I think that's what Viv was telling us so that that they were coming out with all this work of yours that you had, yeah, about 800 songs that you'd forgotten. I'm going, oh, come on now. Chris, really? You had no, that much really. work? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm 78 next next month. <laughs> so I'm, I know. And there's, a, there's a lot of work there, so basically it's so nice getting it out there and hearing it again. As McCartney used to say, he kept all his unfinished songs in the fridge. Well, metaphorically, and so, but then you get the you get you go and listen to songs you wrote about ten years ago, and think, well, I like that bit. Let's improve on it. So that's mm-hmm. what you do. That that's, that's being creative. Mm-hmm. Oh, you think people who, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes things aren't maybe aren't ready to come out of the fridge yet and be cooked. That's up. right, and and uh, they like the chorus or the verse or the title even. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> can't he wrote. Uh, uh, he, he called it scrambled eggs uh, yesterday. That's right. He woke up with this song in his head, and he thought uh, someone else has written that. And then they kept right working on it. And they, they just called it scrambled eggs because instead of yesterday, couldn't come up with a title. That's how that's how being creative works. The ideas just come out of the ether and soak into your brain. The song, okay, the Chris White experience. That's um, and you've got several CDs. It's, uh, and I got the feeling there's going to be more. Chris White. Yeah, about eight CDs at the moment. Yeah. It is <laughs> exciting hearing it again. Yeah, well, I would think so. Um, uh, look on your website. It's the Chris White Experience is an incredible collection of forgotten songs spanning across half a century, and a vital document in the history of British music analog recordings and uh so some of these songs have never been heard and unreleased so we're going to get you know this is this is a, a a gift in itself is that when you've got you've been a fan of somebody and you don't expect it you think oh i love this music i love it and all of a sudden you find out there's more yeah. <laughs> I've, got to get I some more. I've got i found <laughs> some hidden tapes somewhere you know i've yeah. I found the yeah. stuff that was stuck in the back of the the warehouse you know like like old films or or recordings and i found the mother load back there i found the prize well it's it's that, that's a nice thing and the boys put together they've done 16 page booklets in this physical cd and everybody's given credit and uh, that's the nice thing the history mm-hmm. Because so many tapes have lost in fires in, over the years, that basically it's nice to have a record on on disc, and not because we we can lose our heritage. So such great music has been lost in fires. 
so we, we've mm. made wanting just to, to keep it all and look back on history of music. You know, I was looking at, um, trying to think about, you know, people that say that, you know, you, you your work has been influenced them um, and they admire anybody from, you know, Paul, as we said, Tom Petty, Paul Weller, Beck, Foo Fighters. And then, though, the the songs that are in the Chris White Experience CDs, you have collaborations and contributions. And if I could just name some of the people, uh, well, of course, Jim Rodford from the Kinks and Argent. And I met Jim Rodford when um, about ten years ago when the Zombies played right, in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah, that time yeah. I think his, his son Steve was on drums. Um, I got a picture with with Rod. Also, um, Mark Fisher, Procol Harum, uh, Stuart Elliott. Yeah. Cockney Elvin, Kate Bush, Fine Mark musician. Knopfler. Pardon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I did Mark Knopfler's first demos. <laughs> I really? didn't get the job because yeah, yeah, I did the first. I went down to the place with the band at the beginning and routine them, and they just did it on an eight track in the studio. He's a Perfectionist, Mark Knopfler is. But um, yeah, I, I did a couple of tracks with him. And then you got to deal with, uh, 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 I've forgotten, CBS, I think he was. And he basically produced there just desperately to produce. I was offered to do the production, but basically uh, somebody else did it in the end because they just wanted to do it. I don't mind. Lots of things go wrong, but a lot goes right. And that, mm-hmm. that's the thing you can concentrate on. Yeah, well, I figure when things go wrong, it, it, it's like um, Edison. He says, I didn't find, I didn't make, you know, what did you say, 100 failures on how to make the light bulb work. I learned 100 ways that it wouldn't work. So we can document that, what won't work. <laughs> We've got that exactly. knowledge now. Yeah, so that way you know. We only grow we're when we're challenged. We only grow when we're challenged. Everything goes smoothly. You get bored. But if you get challenged, you find another way to get over it. Tell me about working with. Um, let me look at. I was looking at the CD, um, Hummingbird, Leon Russell. Oh yes, uh, yeah. We we use a man called uh, Duffy Power, who's deceased now, unfortunately. But he had a great voice. We did a whole album with him, which never came out, which was going to be released soon. But um, he had such a great voice and he's such a great blues player too. Um, yeah, uh, so Leo Russell I never met. We, we, Rod and I loved the song, so he got Duffy to do it. But then Benny King, not Benny King, uh, B.B. Yeah. King did it, a uh, single. And just before we were about to put the album, the single out, so we had to put the B-side out instead. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I've heard the one, I've heard the uh, Duffy Power version, and I wasn't yeah. aware he's no longer with us. And I also wanted to say, you know, I was so sorry to hear uh, from the, that Terry Quirk, no oh, yes, that's very year. sad. Yes. Yeah. I lost oh, too many friends in the last year, so it's uh, you have to go, you have to keep on going. I'll see them around us all the time, basically. Yes, the spirit's still here. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, yeah, that's, that seems to be a thing that, that uh, a, a lot of us are feeling right now in the last year more than ever, oh. too. Yeah. Oh, very much so. And I, uh, Rod and I shared a flat with Terry Quirk, so we go a long way back. We did go a long way uh, back, yeah. Okay. Like family. What and, about, of course, uh, the famous story, famous story about uh, when he did the cover for Odyssey and Oracle, we were recording. Um, we were in a rush recording because we only had £1,000 through the album. And basically, he showed us the drawing, and we said, that's great. But nobody looked at the spelling. <laughs> we suddenly realized Odyssey was spelt wrong. So Rod came up with the idea that it's a cross between an ode and an odyssey. And the, the funny thing is, Rod, in an interview, we, we owned up to this about 10 years ago, or like five years ago, and Colin turned around and said, is that true? I've always believed the story you told. After about 40 years, he, he still believed it. Colin, he, you had to break it to him, didn't you? <laughs> on, on an interview, on a televised interview. <laughs> I I remember when I saw when I first saw the album and I saw that and I thought, oh, it must be a special British thing that we just don't know over (laughs) here. (laughs) 
No, it was it was already printed, and, we, and oh, one time uh, said it spelled wrong, and so we had to come up with a story, and that was the story we came up with. But it seemed to have stuck, and I think Terry always said that Shakespeare made up so many words, and he now ought to be in the uh, the dictionary, basically, <laughs> the new spelling of Odyssey. All right. I don't know. I don't know where we went. Chris White, are you still oh, there? Are you there? Yeah, okay, I had I... to bar back in again. I'm, I'm here now. Okay. You yeah, I was out. Off. Okay, good. I was out too. I just hoped it wasn't something I said. <laughs> I doubt it would be that. <laughs> I hope not. Um, would you mind if I played um, from the Chris White experience from one of the CDs when I was alone? With Colin singing? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, exactly, okay. yeah. All right, that'll give you time to get a glass of water, cup of tea. Let's see. Okay, right then. Never seemed to notice I was there at all Always seemed to look the other way Winter days were colder When I was alone Wasn't I surprised to feel this warm inside The way it feels to be alone with you So if I try to hold you I can hear you. Are you there? Uh, yeah. yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah, what a voice Chris has. No, I mean, uh, not Chris, uh, Colin, Colin and Chris, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, Colin. Yes, yeah. It's just so beautiful. Um, I guess when you when you've worked with somebody as long as you've worked with these guys, I guess you probably have a, a sixth sense or a feel, or probably don't even have to always communicate with words exactly what it is that that you're trying to do together or looking for. Yeah, you 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 form a, coll- a connection with everybody, and I'm I'm still surprised that we're still friends because we fell out several times on interpretation of songs. So <laughs> it's a, a well, kind of when I, we, voice. 
when you have a difference of opinion, who who wins and how? Do you? I mean, do you do you wait it out? Um, do you arm wrestle? What do you do? No, it's um, basically uh, we we we've been together for so long as friends. You you work it out. It's simple. We value each other's uh, opinion, and we usually come to an agreement. Except when <laughs> it was a lovely story when we were doing time of the season, and it was our last track. And Colin was tired, and he kept singing, uh, it's time of the season when love runs high. And Ron said, no, can you just do high? And Colin said, no. He said, it feels so bloody good. Why don't you come and sing it yourself? <laughs> and Ron said, no, no you're the singer. Go, just, just go on, just do it. So, there were, so those little occasions, but it never was a fight. So it's, it was always just voicing our own strong opinions. <laughs> it's a great group of people to work with. Okay, uh, that's fun. Uh, by the way, this is this is about five hours earlier than I normally broadcast. I, but if somebody's listening live, although most of the people obviously listen afterwards or downloads, and some people listen to the show in their cars or when they're running. But if you happen to be listening to the live show, which is Monday, March first. At 3.38 p.m. Um, Eastern Time, I think we're GMT minus 5 here, and you're just GMT flat over there. I don't know. What time is it for you? It's 8.30 at the moment, but I thought you said G&T. It was gin and tonic. <laughs> if only. So <laughs> <laughs> now I've got a nice whiskey and water here, so that's all right. <laughs> okay. I'll have to I'll have to see what my husband can whip up in the kitchen for me, so I can be we can be you know kind of even on this. Uh, when you know this is my salon, this is my virtual salon in cyberspace. I call it this. Uh, one of the first guests that was ever on said, "I've been to Madame Perry's salon. It looks like the inside of Genie's bottle, <laughs> like I dream of Genie." So that's why yeah, this I'll is my uh, uh, this is my cyberspace version of, of the salon. Um, anyway. <laughs> I was going to say that uh, uh, if people are listening live and they have a comment or question for Madam Perry's salon or for uh, Chris White, of course, please share it and I'll be happy to give it to him. If you want to call, the number is 646 716 9922. Again, 646 716 nine nine two two it's a cold toll free call in the continental u.s and uh but if you've got a job or someplace where you can't actually make a phone call you can always message it to me on facebook either through madam perry salon or jennifer maudette perry and i'll be happy to share it so um you've got I see that on your site and that people can go. It's just Chris White, the Chris White com. You can't make it any easier than that. And I will be sharing the link on all of my social media, not just for Madam Perry Salon, but also my personal social media on Twitter and uh, Reddit, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I'll be sharing everything everywhere. Can get it. But right now I see that you're up to the Chris White experience volume five and if you haven't yeah. heard any of these if you've only heard one let me tell you from somebody that's been listening to them all um i can promise you right now although you probably already would expect this there's not a clunker in the bunch you know everybody's got a cd where you skip over one song or something that you don't you know like that's not i don't like that nothing you would, you're not going to want to skip over any of these you're not going to <laughs> it's history, really. And by the way, I have to say, the Chris White experience wasn't my idea for title. It was my son's idea. And oh. Viv said, I've had that. I've had that, she said. <laughs> and Terry Quincy, the cartoon. <laughs> you know, I could picture, I, from talking to Viv, talking to you, and then you're talking about your sons, I could picture you guys, you know, for, forget about Ozzy Osbourne. I could picture your family having a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. At least he wouldn't fight each other. 
<laughs> for real, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I could definitely see that happen. So, uh, okay, so this really is a family. Now, now your sons, uh, what what do they do? Well, uh, Matthew, the eldest, he used to work. He did, he did some work at Abbey Road. He's, he's a recording engineer. He's, well, he's working a lot with downloads and the, all the rights of uh, current music. Jamie has his own band. He actually toured with the Zombies in America once. But then he, he was in advertising, but he's left that job and working with Viv and myself and Matthew on Sunfish Music, which is a publishing company, putting out these uh, these uh, CDs as well. So I'm glad I'm working with my family. Yes, definitely. That's, that's, that's a yeah. lovely thing. Now, you... Um... Okay, sorry, never mind. My my mind is just racing. I just I didn't want to totally fangirl the whole time, but so what if I do? Uh, what things are you looking forward to, or what have you not done yet, as far as uh, music or creating or anything? What what is it that you've got on your list to do that you haven't done yet? Actually, pretty well occupied at the moment. Uh, I've written a couple of musicals with friends. Uh, I want to get this musical on I'm doing about the zombies in the making of what I saw in Oracle but I'm busy writing all the time and of course Viv and I live together she's got her art studio here I've got, I'm, we've just moved here but I'm setting up my, my studio and taking all the time actually looking back at all the tracks I've been working with because I've forgotten most of it and so I'm very busy trying to create new stuff mm. And how much do you influence each other, you and Viv? Very much so. Uh, we've been together 30 years now, and basically uh, we think alike. We enjoy being where we are. We have great fun, and but she's very creative. And uh, and I appreciate her stuff because I, I was at art college for four years, and she does music as well. So it's a, a fantastic relationship. It's creative. We throw ideas around. Well, 30 years, I think that's going to be, yeah, that sounds pretty legit. Um, we, My husband and I have been married about the same amount of time. But, Chris, we were married in Las Vegas, so who knows how long it's going to last, really. <laughs> but he did buy your ukulele, I understand. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. He did. <laughs> he bought me a ukulele, and he yeah. also bought a little small, small, you know, piano, a little electric, I guess, piano. Oh, good. And. And what I'll do is sometimes I'll try to practice and I'll turn the volume way down because he's uh-uh. doing other things and he's working. And then all of a sudden I hear him going through the room and he'll just ever so easily reach over and turn the volume up. That's so good. Me, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so after 30 years and he turns the volume up, you're in good form. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> That's a good sign. I know. That's good. Um, yeah, so when when I get the uh, zombie songs down on, on the ukulele, just watch out. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the It'll weird be... thing is, um, in England at the moment, there's there's an advert on television because our census is coming out in, in March. They have to, we have to register on the census for the whole country. And they've used one of my songs with a different band singing it. So that's great. Nice. This will, this will be this will be our year. So hearing different people, and that song has become the perennial wedding song. Actually, I played the, two of my son's weddings, and um, different people have set, had it playing at their wedding. It's quite interesting. Wasn't it also on? Um, I think it's a TV show called The Middle. Yeah, oh, I thought it was great. I love that version of it. Yeah, it was so innocent. Yeah, he's been on quite a few. TV shows. Yeah, and I remember when when I saw that, I think I had missed the episode, and I think Cindy had put it out or shared it somewhere. And I thought, oh, because you know, I know the show enough to know the characters and everything, so I've got the context and with the song. And I thought, oh, this is just so beautiful. You know, it's just another. Uh, I hate to overuse the word magic, but you know, when you feel that way, and you know, when you were talking about different things with the band. Uh, situations, things like when you've traveled, like I was talking about the Jimi Hendrix 
uh, sing to you and so forth. They could always tell my husband, I said, things like that or things that just happen with us. To me, I think of them as like having a, um, where you have a memory of it. It's like a special little uh, jewel or something that brings, or something that brings you happiness. And so whenever you need it, you just pull them out of your pocket and just look at it and think, oh, yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah, that's fantastic, those sort of things. In fact, the weird thing is, both Viv and myself, we get very emotional when we hear things that we've written, sung by somebody beautiful, uh, and we, we get reduced to tears, basically, uh, uh, because with pleasure, not because it's so bad, but because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Well, when I get the uh, Zombies uh, and Chris White Experience uh, ukulele tribute band together, I hope you'll still feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it would be great. I'd love to see a uh, ukulele orchestra because I've seen a couple of those and they sound great. <laughs> so you should join one as as a soloist. Really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. What is the strangest gig you ever had? As zombies or Chris White Experience or any gig? What was the funniest, wackiest gig you ever had? And when I say that, I'm going to say, I'm not saying like that, you know, um, where or whatever. Okay. The first time I got hired as a drummer, and let me be clear, I'm not really a drummer. I was taking lessons, and a guy called me. He said, you, pl- you take drum lessons? Yeah. Okay, I've got a gig. I'm not that good. No, it's up in, it's up in the mouth at this event. I said, I'm not that good yet. And besides, you know, I, I can't haul the whole kit up there. Uh, my brother had a great uh-huh. set of Slingerlands, and he gave them away. He was going to give them away because he thought they were old. I mean, these are the white pearl, like, you know, the bottom thing. Blimey. And he was throwing them away. I said, let me take them. He goes, all right, but they're old. So that's what I had. I said, I don't know if you can pack up all. He goes, all you need is just a conga. Turned out what the gig was for. Then he said it paid $75, and this was about 20-something years ago. And I said, okay, I'm in. It was, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> it was just you. a group of yeah, four people, and the four of us, what we did, I was the only one, but the four of us had a, a we're playing for, let me get this right, uh, we went to this retreat place up in North Georgia, where somebody um, had, where people had gone for the weekend, and I forget what it was called, or what they called it, but let's put it, basically, they were all there to learn different things to make them do the wild thing better, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. If it's some kind of, you know, all kind of stuff that's going to lead to make you, you know, and 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 who doesn't want to learn more about, you know, having better sex? So anyway, apparently when we <laughs> got there, everybody had just been through a massage lesson and had massaged each other, and they were all kind of uh, mellowed, laid out, and then our job was to lay down some grooves as a percussion quartet to uh, let them get up and dance, and so we did, uh, and they did. And it was great. And a couple of people even had like maybe a scarf around their neck, like a for a cape. But everybody was naked. So. <laughs> so, right. so that was my craziest gig. So you tell me yours. Well, I think I had to go a long way back when we were touring in the early days in England. Up in Scotland, we went to one dance where we played. And the, the audience was split sort of one side and the left and the right-hand side. And then somebody had an argument, so they started fighting. So they went one side of the uh, audience, the other, then the other side. And they rushed outside and came back in again. And we just carried <laughs> on playing while they had a fight. You know, they went out. They went out. They were Scottish. Glasgow it was. And then they came back again, made up, and they started the fight again. It was all about uh, who, who took to something, whose wife or something. And that was the weirdest thing. So you, you had a naked one, we had a fighting one. <laughs> well, it's kind of like those um, sawdust floor bars in, uh, in small yes, towns oh, yes. in the south. Like somebody comes in, you want to dance, you want to fight. So at least ours were dancing naked. That's better, I think. Do you remember the film The Blues Brothers when they, uh, they had to play at a, a country place where they got wire netting over the front of the yeah. stage? Because of... <laughs> exactly. You know, I think yeah. I think I want to put together a book of, of crazy stories like that, and I, and I hope you'll contribute to it. I think I was going to put together oh, some kind of be. anthology of crazy gig stories. You should do. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> this has been 
so much fun. I have just enjoyed you so much, Chris White. Um, this has been such a pleasure to have you. It's great to have Phipps. Great to have you. And I hope that you both had a good enough time that you will come back again. Oh, love to. Anytime. Is there anything else you want me to share with the audience before you go? People know to. I mean, I've told them I'm going to share where to buy your music. But anything else? That's fine. Yeah. No, really. Uh, basically, uh, one song I think I, I really love that is in the anthology, uh, the word for CD. It's called uh, one I wrote with Matthew Fisher and the Fizz, and, I, and it's called uh, I Dance to Dance. I love the way this girl sings it. I just think it's a great demo. It was only a demo, but it, it moves me a lot. A dance, a dance. I dance to right. dance, yeah. Okay, I'm from the South. You know that, so I'll know. Yeah. You okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, I know you understood me. So far, we haven't had to have subtitles, so we're okay. I had a band on, uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's a band in Liverpool called Joe Symes and the Loving Kind. Yeah. And I love their music, and I adore these guys. Uh, when the drummer sometimes when he gets to go, and what, what do they call that? The Liverpool is that called the Geordie or Scouser or something like that? Scouse, Scouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't that's always. That's a little fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. they're wonderful guys. I love the music, and I love the guys. But so, but once he gets going, I just have to just keep on. And well, tell me more about it. So. <laughs> Well, it's the same for us, basically. Uh, uh, when we were touring in the early days, and we were going to Scotland, we couldn't find a venue, and we stopped and asked somebody, and we didn't understand a single word. It was English, but it was a Scots accent. And we said, thank you very much. And then we had to ask someone else how to find the gig. <laughs> I guess, yeah, everybody has. I remember, of course, you know, I'm from Atlanta. I had a girlfriend that went to stay with her grandmother for two years and live with her. And when she came back, and she just went to, I think, maybe Tennessee or Virginia. And when she came back, I had no idea what she was saying. So I guess that, that <laughs> yeah. must have been where the Scots landed when they came over. That's why I didn't understand. Probably, it. It yes, been, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm good to, I've taken so much of your time, and you've been so generous with all your time and your stories and your music and your talent. So I'm going to have Thank to you. let you go rest so you'll come back instead of saying, are you kidding, Madam Perry? She'll never let you go. <laughs> so <laughs> I need to see your salon. Yes, yes. Okay, you well, it was a great pleasure. It was a great it, pleasure talking to you. And it was for me as well. So Chris White, Chris White Experience, you got about, what, 800,000 songs. We're going to be looking for them all. All right? Thank you okay. so much, Mrs. Madam Perry. Okay. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. I love you. Bye-bye. It's the time of the season When love runs high In the time Give it to me let me try with pleasure hands to take you in the sun to promise.